Uh, turn to Luke chapter 17, if you would. And uh, we're going to pray to start off our service. Father in heaven, thank you so very much that we could come together and worship like this. Thank you for each person here. Thank you for giving safe passage on the holidays for those that traveled. And uh, thank you that we have family and friends to fellowship with and reminisce with and enjoy uh, at such a special time of year. And I do pray for those that are hurting right now, uh, as this time of year can be so difficult for so many. I pray you comfort them in a great way, especially those that are sick or who have just lost a loved one. I pray that you would comfort them in an extra special way. Thank you, God, that we can study your word today. I pray for those that are visiting that they would feel uh, drawn into your word and want to go and read it, it and learn it even more. You're hearing it. God, for all those that are Christians, uh, that they would have a greater hunger to want to be close to you, to love you, and to give their best here in 2014. We love you. We thank you for Jesus who makes everything possible. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody. I hope you had a great holiday. It's good to see everybody here. We're the committed, right? Just kidding. Uh, but today I'm going to thing that uh, here for the New Year in just a few And uh, it's, it's not working again. All right. Here we go. What we're going to talk about here today is just about something that I think really is so important. And uh, when you think about it, um, when somebody, you expect someone to be thankful to you, and they're not, how does it make you feel, parents? I know in our house we had an electronic Christmas. Wasn't a very big, wasn't very many gifts, one big gift each, and a couple others. And... um, my one daughter wanted a phone, been waiting for years and years and years, and I took it, and I tried to convince her she was getting the Galaxy S4, it was the next big thing, and I kept, you know, baiting her along the way, and even borrowed the box from Ken Chow, and told Ken to go show her his, and put it inside Ken's case, his box, put the iPhone in the Galaxy S4 case, and then, you know, told her, now you got to be thankful for whatever you get, and uh, she had a face of somewhat thanksgiving. But the box wouldn't shut all the way because the iPhone made it stick out. And so she had a glint of maybe. And then she opened it and went, ah, ah, ah. Just kept screaming and screaming and screaming. The expected uh, great market. It would have been a great commercial for marketing uh, Apple. Um, And then my other daughter uh, got a little tablet. And uh, she got the case first and she opened it and she's like, And then she got the tablet and she was like, huh, is this as nice as my friends? You know, just kind of, and then when she realized what it was, then she started getting, did the dance. And, you know, it's just funny how we, when we expect people to be thankful, what it does for us, what it means to us. And when we expect people to be thankful and they're not, what it means to us, what it does for us. And really it's the same way with God as well. God expects us to be thankful. And as we reflect on 2013, You know, that saying can be kind of overused. We have a lot to be thankful for. 
But we really, really do. So much. And you think about it. I found this quote. And it says, How happy a person is depends upon the depth of his or her gratitude. And have you ever noticed some people are just more grateful than others? And sometimes I'm really thankful, and sometimes I want to be, but I'm not so thankful. And it doesn't just happen. It takes a concerted effort. Think about the things that Paul says about thanksgiving. He talks about getting to a place of overflowing with thankfulness. He talks about thankfulness being a safeguard to our soul. He talks about thankfulness being a key to peace and guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he talks about us, uh, to, that thankfulness is something we have to, that connects with prayer and that we have to be. It's a decision. You know, as we think about 2013 and as we get ready to go into 2014, I'm going to talk about today some stories you're very familiar with. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to refer to some of them. So if you don't know the story, you can go back and read it on your own. I'll paraphrase it. And we're going to talk about some people that shouldn't have been thankful, but were, so that we can learn from them. And I'm going to talk about how prayer is directly related to our thankfulness. The amount of time we spend in prayer, the consistency of our prayer, the quality of our prayer determines our thankfulness. I'm going to talk about how us sharing our faith, caring about people's spiritual needs, is directly tied to our thankfulness for our own spiritual needs being met. And then finally, we're going to talk about how us getting hands-on, serving the physical needs of others, and serving the poor, is directly tied to our level of thankfulness. You know, uh, this uh, year, uh, I'd always thought about it, and many of you have done it, I've never done it before, but we decided to go serve the poor on Christmas Day. And uh, we tried to come up with a strategy that would motivate the kids, so we... Michelle and I kind of did the huddle, and we talked, how are we going to motivate them? So we said, let's do the one-on-one offense. So we had individual talks with each one of them, and they all got excited individually. But then the day came, and you know what happened, right? They wanted to open all the gifts, and so we negotiated to stockings and one gift. And then everybody got sick suddenly, and you know what I'm saying, just and tired and... And so we went and met with a lot of the disciples that were down there in Long Beach and served veterans, made them a Christmas meal, brought them appetizers, talked with them. And it was so funny because even at the event, people were struggling with illnesses and attitudes. And, you know, but trying to push through data, we said such and such time, are we leaving soon? Oh, it's only been 15 minutes. Do you know what I mean? But the cool thing was everybody pushed through had an incredible time, and on the way home, they're like, this was the best Christmas ever. we got to do this every year. I'm like, yes. This should be our tradition. Why? What happened? Well, when you go and you see people who are all beaten up in electric, electric wheelchairs and lost limbs, and, uh, you know, and I told the girls, I said, look in people's eyes. Tell me what you see. And so on the way home, we talked about the sadness, the lostness, the hurt, the loneliness, how, how, how abused people's bodies were. I mean, just talked about the heart. And it was just amazing how much thankfulness transformed them and me 
to a totally different attitude. And we haven't even, we didn't even get a chance, we hadn't even opened the gift yet. You know what I'm saying? The big gift. We just opened a small one in the stockings. Now, of course, right when we went in the door, I said, why don't we have a devotion about what we just learned? They're like, no! I was totally kidding. I just wanted to. But I, it was a great lesson for myself and the family that thankfulness does an incredible thing to our relationship with God. You know, what hinders us from being thankful? You know, Helen Keller on the screen here, born deaf and blind. We've all learned about her in school. And she says, so much has been given to me. I have no time to ponder over that which has been denied. Could you imagine being deaf and blind? Talk about double frustration. I take my eyesight and my hearing for granted, as many of you do. But could you imagine how hard that would be? And so I thought about it. What, what keeps us from having a spirit of thankfulness? I think entitlement. I deserve in our pride. I'm at a stage in my life where I deserve this. I've accomplished this, so I deserve that. I'm a kid, so I deserve this. I've done this, so I deserve that. Entitlement. Selfishness. Or just not taking time to, be, to consider and to think about what God has done for you or I. I think having unhealthy comparisons, why does he have that and I have this? How does my neighbor drive a new car all the time? Well, maybe they lease. Or maybe they're in a lot of debt. Or maybe they just make more money than you. I don't know. doesn't matter. Yours is rolling. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that unhealthy comparison. How come she gets... They have, school comes so easy to him, why did, never, nothing ever goes my way. Really? Nothing? Versus a healthy comparison of, man, it's pretty amazing that I get to blank. It's pretty amazing that my parents are still married. It's pretty amazing that I get to know both my grandparents. It's pretty amazing that I have a job when so many people don't. It's pretty, I mean, you can just go on and on and on. And make healthy comparisons that are actually constructive and make us and help us be thankful. Negative thinking drains all thankfulness. I think a lack of prayer keeps us from being thankful. Because to pray, you have to humble yourself to somebody else, God. I think not being in each other's lives makes us unthankful. Because when you start to help somebody else and they share what they're going through, you hurt for them, you're thankful you can help them, and then you realize, boy, I got a good compared to this guy's story. In a good, in a humbling way. And I think it's the same way with just, we can forget what we have or where we come from. Teens, you know, your parents are so fired up when you're thankful for them. It's a little thing that means a lot. And I know you're thankful, or you're excited when we're thankful for you. We're going to talk today about some people that shouldn't have been thankful. Look, in Luke 17, all three of these folks were unnamed. So the Bible writer never even found out or had a chance to get their name. So they didn't even get that much respect. It was just a leper, a woman, a traveler. And the thing about the Samaritans were... The Samaritans were some of the most despised and hated people. And some interesting facts about them 
they believed that they were direct descendants and deserved the Jewish people, being part of the Jewish people. And they came during the time of Ezra but the, from exile. But the Jews felt like they were dirty people. Their race was mixed. Stay away from us. We don't want to intermingle. We don't want to intermarry. We don't want to even interact with you. In fact, there was so much racism and intolerance and hatred for the Samaritan that tradition has it that at one time 300 priests and 300 rabbis got together in the temple, at the Temple Mount and they took out the laws of Moses and read through all the curses against the Samaritans. They were mad that the Samaritans were there. They felt like they were ritually unclean and they were defiling the land and defiling the bloodline. Stay away from us. The Samaritans were so hurt by that, that one time, what the Jews would do during some of the, the Feast of Passover, is they light fires on the hill of Jerusalem to let all the Jews know out that they were out there, hey, it's time to come in for the Passover. And so the Samaritans would light fires on their hills to confuse everybody. There was a lot of animosity, a lot of racism, a lot of hurt, a lot of hatred. Think about it. They were not people that should be thankful. In Luke 17, 11, it says, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us! When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You've got to imagine that picture. As they were on their way, somewhere along that travel, they started looking at each other, and their skin started to supernaturally form back to its original form. Could you imagine the look in their eyes? The, the, the yelling was not over a phone. Ha! 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 I mean, they were like, your nose is back! What happened to your fingers? You too! I mean, it's not like they pulled out a mirror or something. They were just telling each other, Oh my gosh, it's working. You're healing. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And the Bible notes, and he was a Samaritan. This guy shouldn't have given thanks as much as the others. And the Bible doesn't say the other nine were Jews, but I think we can guess that the fact the Bible writer noted that this one was not a Jew. And so the nine that knew better were just so excited and they probably ran home because being a leper, you were not allowed close to people. You had to wear a sign that said, I'm a leper. You'd have to shout and there was a prescribed distance and you'd have to say, unclean, unclean. Think about how insecure and humiliated you'd feel having to be, do that and be that person. And now they could just walk right into their village and hug their family and see everybody. And so every, the other nine ran off to reunite. But one guy said, before I do that, I've got to go back to the source. I cannot believe this guy healed me. And so he goes back even though his heart was so excited to go find his family members. And he falls. It says in verse 16, he threw himself at Jesus' feet 
and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? How come the good-hearted guy always gets a sermon? I mean, he probably looks up. I don't know. These were his buddies. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, Jesus asks? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You know, there's something about prayer that leads us to thanksgiving. And there's something about not praying that leads us away from being a grateful person. Why? Because prayer is a form of desperation, of lowering yourself, and looking to something, someone outside of you and your source of control or resource and saying, I need you, I rely on you, I thank you, I depend on you, I choose on my own to come to get down on my knees, whether literally or in posture, and say, thank you. And you know, the funny thing about prayer is sometimes I'll pray and it's just words. I don't mean it to be words. I don't want to babble, but it's just words. My mind is sincere, but their emotion's not connected yet. It's just kind of, I know these are the things I should be telling God. But after I click in, you know, like in your car, you put it into gear. After I at least go right to the thankful gear. Okay, click, click, reverse, neutral, T, into the thankful gear. And I just start thanking God. Then suddenly, there's a connection between the head and the heart. And it goes from words to feeling God's presence. God was there all along. But my heart connects when I'm thankful. And I love the fact that this guy came and he didn't even, wasn't told to, didn't have to, but he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. You know, I'm so thankful for so many people in my life. Most of all, I'm thankful for God. I've been closer to God this last year than maybe my whole life. I just felt more need for him. So I'm thankful for that. And I've learned more about him in that time. I'm so thankful for Michelle, my wife. 22 years of spring. That's what I'm saying. We've been through a lot together. We were just talking about it the other day. She said, we've been through a lot together. I said, yes, we have. It's been an adventure. Still is. But I'm really thankful for her. Because she sees the good in me. She cheers me on. She encourages me. She forgives me. She works with me. Loves me. Tells me the truth. Even when I don't want it. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for my mom. My mom and I have gotten really close. We were already close. But as I've gone through a tough time this year, I've shared vulnerably with her. And she told me the other day, she says, Marco, thank you for sharing vulnerably with me. A lot of kids would not share vulnerably with their parents what they're thinking, feeling, going through. It means a lot to me. That meant a lot to me that she said that to me. And then, you know, I don't know how you are with your parents, but, you know, my mom will be 80, and she knows a lot, but I didn't even realize how much she knows. And so she just said certain things. I'm like, mm, that was good. 
I was really, come on, moms, cranking it almost 80 here, just dispensing more wisdom. And I love my mom because she had a lot of kids, went through a lot of hardship, has a lot of grandkids, 18 grandkids, two, three great, three great grandkids. And she's not judgmental towards a one. And they've all went in different directions. She just loves them. Just accepts them. Just sees the good. And it's so encouraging. So grateful for her. Thankful for the, my kids. And just how much joy they bring me. How much I love them. Thank for the Marichis and our friendship over the last year especially. Been really, really dear friends. Thankful for the Wingies. We met in interesting circumstances. But I guess that's how it works. And have really become just dear to my heart. Very. Thankful for Henry and Lana. Henry and I have been friends for 19 years and two months. No, I'm just kidding. Henry knows the exact... We've been through a lot together. 19 years and 8 months. Sorry, Henry. I'm, I don't have a brain of a computer. I'm analog. But I'm thankful. Been through a lot together. Appreciate, appreciate you a lot, Henry. I love our new family group. It's a lot of fun. Great group. It's a highlight of my week. And I'm really thankful for Andre. Andre and I have become very good friends. We send the love by text throughout the week, encouraging each other. You want to get Andre riled up, just talk about politics, conservative issues. No, I'm just kidding. I, I just, I got it. I just know how to just lob him an easy one. See? But I'm just grateful. Why do we forget so easily? Why do we, why did the Bible say over and over again, Remember! Why did when they crossed over into the promised land after 40 years of wandering, they sent one person from every tribe to go get a stone and set it up right on the other side of the river and said, when your sons and your grandsons come by and say, what are these stones? You tell them what God did. You tell them about the plagues. You tell them about the wandering. And you tell them how God finally brought us over. And that theme is all throughout the Bible over and over and over again. Psalm 136, 18 times, every single verse, His love endures forever. Why? Because we forget so easily. And we need to be helped to remember. You know, this story, I, I heard this story and it, it's hard for me to believe. You know, there's certain stories that aren't that believable. But back in the day, you know, steamships were the way of travel and using the Great Lakes in the Midwest. And in 1860, there was a huge disaster. It would be like an airliner going down today. 279 people died when this steamship collided with another boat. I'm sorry, when it was wrecked in a storm. And there was a rescue team. It was right outside of where Northwestern University is, outside of Chicago. And there was a rescue team of young men who were strong swimmers and college students who banded together in the middle of the night to go out into Lake Michigan to save people. And there was a guy there, one of the students named Edward Spencer, who saved 17 people single-handedly from the sinking ship. Seeing his deteriorating condition, others tried to stop him. But on and on, he kept going back in the water with a rope tied to him to save one more person to the 18th person. 
finally collapsing in utter exhaustion. He was carried exhausted to his room, injured himself. And people asked him, he said to them, did I do a good job? Did I do my best? You know, almost 60 years later, he was now living in Los Angeles. One of a a famous theologian, Dr. R.A. Torrey, was speaking about the incident at a meeting. And somebody says to Dr. Torrey from the crowd, Sir, Mr. Spencer's here. And he says, well, Mr. Spencer, would you come on the stage and say a few things for us? And so this now man, near the end of his life, he was, never went back to college, just due to the trauma. He was in a wheelchair now. His life was utterly wrecked from the injuries, both physical and psychological, that he went through that night. And as he took... God help up on the stage. He walked to the crowd, and this old man with white hair slowly climbs the steps. The applause rings out, and he says, Dr. Torrey says, Mr. Edwards, it's an honor to have you here. Is there anything in particular that stands out in your memory? And he says this, Only this, sir. Not one of the people that I saved ever came back to thank me. And you go, come on, really? I've researched it a few different places. Yes. You say, how could that be? How can we be? And that can tell you how that can be. Thankfulness is such a powerful thing. You know, there's a story here in John chapter 4 about this Samaritan woman. Again, nameless. I'm not going to read the story, the whole story. I'll just highlight towards the end. But here was a woman that had been married five times and was living with a man. That would be looked down upon today in our society where anything goes. But in that society, that was just unbelievable. And so here she is coming to the well during the middle of the day, an outcast to her town. These towns back then weren't 20,000, 100,000. Sometimes there were 700 people, 900 people, 500 people, 300 people. So... Everybody kind of knew everybody. It was like a small, small farm town high school. Do you know what I'm saying? In the sense of population. So here's this woman, and Jesus is there. They have this crossing of the paths. And it's just the two of them. And Jesus has a spiritual conversation with her. And she tries to keep it shallow, and he goes deep. And he, and he talks to her about her sin. He says, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband either. You know, she could have went in one of two directions right there. You're a bigot. You're a, who are you to tell? Let me just, and, and huffed off. She could have just stayed shallow. Well, yeah, you know, times are tough, and you don't. But she took the hit. And she says, woman, or she says, I can see you're a prophet. And something happened. She felt loved by the way Jesus interacted with her, by the fact he was willing to go deep with her, by the fact that he cared about her and her spiritual well-being. That the Bible teaches that in John 4, a little bit later, it says in verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Look a little farther down to verse 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him 
because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. You know, what happened with the Samaritan woman? Jesus accepted her, said some tough things to her, cared about her spiritual condition. And that moved her so much that she suddenly cared about the town of all the other Samaritans. And then they saw, wow, something must have happened for her to be reaching out to us. So they came to see for themselves, and it says they were converted. They said, it's not just your words. We now saw for ourselves. We know. And it's like when you reach out to somebody. At first, they're borrowing your words. And to the level that you express thankfulness for what God's done for you, it attracts them. It, it catches their attention. But then if they can then look a little farther, they can see for themselves. You know, something about thankfulness is totally tied to us sharing our faith. You know, you think about the guy that was cutting himself with stones and in the tombs. After he was healed, Jesus says, go home to your family and tell them two things. He told, he told them two things. Tell them how much God's done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You know, we've worked on with the singles over the years to perfect your two-minute testimony. That within two minutes or less, because most people won't give you more time than that, if that, that you can share something or some things about what God's done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. There's something about that. That when you do it, you've got to suddenly think, yeah, what has he done for me? Oh, that sounded bad. But you've got to think about it. And sometimes you can't think about anything or it comes out in hollow words. But as you push through just a few more seconds, it's amazing the level of power and sincerity and thankfulness that's contagious when you tell people, here's what God's done for me. Even this week. Even this year. You know, it's funny, I've shared with a lot of strangers about what I've gone through this last year. People I've been sharing my faith with along the way. And there's kind of that moment of pause where, uh-oh, TMI. Why was I that vulnerable? Didn't need to be, they didn't ask. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, they're looking at me like Cyclops right now. Here we go. You know, you just want to kind of... But then you know what happens? They go, wow, thanks for sharing. Let me tell you what happened to me this year. Let me tell you about what's going on right now in my home. With my mom. With my wife. That just left. With my this. With my... Something where you just go, why? Because when you're thankful to God, and you're real, and you tell people what God has done for you, and how He's had mercy on you, it's just so powerful. It's totally tied to thanksgiving. You know, one of the people that I'm so inspired by, Tyler Holloway, who is super thankful for what God's done for him and how he's had mercy. And I remember Sylvie coming to our house and having dinner and talking and polite, but skeptical. But grateful, but skeptical. But the love that was shown to her year after year after year after year after year and the friendship 
that she had. So powerful. And then to see Tyler's thankfulness, I know impacted her. You know, our thankfulness for what God's done for us and how he's had mercy can change people's lives. There's a tribe in Africa called the Maasai tribe. And what they do is when someone does something for them, they go and they bow down and put their head to the ground and they say, my head is in the dirt. Which just means I humble myself before you. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me, that I humble myself before you. That's how God wants us to be with all human beings. We're going to close with this story here, the last one here in Luke 10. The other two were true stories. This one is a made-up story. It's a parable. And, you know, the story is a famous story. In fact, there's even a law named after it, the Good Samaritan Law. About three guys, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And the priest sees this guy beaten to a pulp on the side of the road, doesn't want to defile himself, doesn't want to get involved, doesn't want to get his hands dirty, sees him, maybe shoots up a prayer for him, maybe says, when I get back, I'll call AAA, maybe I have a friend that lives by here, I'll send somebody, I'll get him, I'll, I'll take care of it. I don't know. He just says, went to the other side of the road. And hurried past. The Levite comes by. Another holy man. He would be maybe synonymous to an attorney. Or someone that was an expert in the law. A scribe. Here's a guy that goes. I know what to do. I know what the law says about the poor. About people in need. I don't want to defile myself. I don't want to get involved. He goes to the other side of the road. And hurries along his way. Maybe shot up some prayers for him too. We don't know. But then the Samaritan comes along. And says, I've got to get involved. Verse 33, but a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, see one guy, the two guys stayed far enough away where they couldn't get an up close look. But the Samaritan knew, if I go over there, I'm going to have to get involved when I see what's going on. You know, we've got to be a people that love the poor. Jesus loved the poor. We've got to be a people that love each other as well. Not just in word or in thought, but that we're getting up close enough to see what each other's needs are. And that we're willing to carry each other's burdens. And we're willing to, to the overuse saying, getting our hands dirty with the needs of each other and the needs of the poor. Because until we get up close, we just shoot up a prayer at best. Or we say, oh, what a pity. But I love how this guy, it's going to blow. I love how he took pity, puts him on his own donkey, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine on the wounds and took care of him. Then he takes out two silver coins, verse 35, says to the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, this really challenged me, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So he doesn't just get involved. He doesn't just literally get dirty. He doesn't just literally take him into his own Vehicle, he takes total responsibility. He says, hey, if the guy gets in the minibar, I'll pay for it. If he rents a boxing match on television, I got that too. I mean, there was just a sense of, don't worry about any other expenses. I just want to make sure he's okay. Doesn't that challenge you to love that deeply amongst each other? 
versus, yeah, I'm in so-and-so's family group. I think I know their last name. It's, ah, it's coming to me. Versus carrying each other's burdens and caring about each other and getting involved. I'm so grateful for those that are like that. Jesus says, well, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, he doesn't even use the word Samaritan. He's like, he's kind of just choking out the words. Oh, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, what a challenge to care that much. We've got to show unexpected thanks. How? Return and give praise. Make your time with God every day. Go back and go back and go back. And it doesn't have to be just in the morning. It should be a life of praise. We're returning over and over again to give thanks. We've got to realize our testimony is so powerful. It's tied to our thanksgiving. Let me tell you what God's done for me. Not just back then, but now and back then. And how he's had mercy Back then and now, our sharing our faith, our getting involved with people's spiritual needs is directly tied to our thankfulness. And let's be a people that get hands-on. That we love each other, we meet the needs of each other, and we need the needs of the, meet the needs of the poor as well. I'm just going to close with this story. Helen Keller said, I'm only one, but still I'm one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. I will not refuse to do something I can do. We're only one person. We've all got problems. We all have burdens. We all have disappointments. We all have lives that are busy. Everybody has things that are too short, too long, too this, too that. But what can we do when it comes to giving thanks as our motivation? Do you know that Helen Keller was raised by Ann Sullivan and taught by her? And why Ann was so committed to Helen was because Anne was blind at one time and had a surgery and got her sight back. And so she was so thankful that she then trained Helen Keller. Well, at the end of Anne's life, Anne was married now. Both had grown up. They were both elderly. And now Anne started to lose her sight again. And so, guess who came to her side? To Miss Macy's side, her new married name was Helen Keller. And she said... Let me help you. Let me teach you. Let me be devoted to you. And as she stood at the deathbed of her other half, when it was all over, she said, I pray for strength to endure the silent dark until she smiles on me again. Thanksgiving is such a powerful thing as it relates to prayer, sharing our lives, our spiritual testimony, and getting involved with people. Right now we're going to take communion. And when you think about it, Jesus... Broke the bread, it says, and he gave thanks. And if you do a study on giving thanks, Jesus gave thanks over and over and over again. Every time he broke the loaves and fed the, fed the masses, times he prayed and he said, God, I give thanks that you have revealed these things. It was his habit. And us taking communion is time for us to develop the habit of thanking God for what he did for us on the cross today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. Thank you for the spirit of thanksgiving, that we can be thankful. Thank you for how powerful it is and how accessible it is for us to be thankful, God. Please help us be thankful for what Jesus did on the cross. I know so often I can just go through the motions, not meaning to, in my faith or when I take communion. But help me remember and not forget 
how incredible what he did on the cross is, was, and always will mean to all of us that have faith. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example of these Samaritans, reminding us of people that you wouldn't expect to have thanks. We're so thankful. Help us learn from them and be like them as Jesus was such a thankful person himself. And it's his name we pray. Amen.